nice on sensor. Does anybody, have you guys already encountered Jesus? Like, do you feel him? You guys ready to get back into worship? Like, I'm ready. I'm ready for some worship. Um, that worship was amazing. I want you to know now we're actually, I'm just going to be very upfront because it's clear that God is doing something today. Um, and what I believe is he's shifting um, the culture of our church. To We've always been about worship, but I think there is an emphasis um, that he is wanting us to be about and place um, our focus on. And so after this message, we are going to go right back into some worship and we are going to worship him for all that he is. Are you guys looking forward to that? Where are my worshipers at? Like you ready to bring the glory down? Like Ruben, get out of here. We just want to worship him already. Um, and so I'm just looking forward to doing that. And um, just so in awe of what God is wanting to do today. Pastor Ro called me a guest preacher earlier. What kind of guest preacher? Um, I have my iPad over here again because I'm trying to do this stuff from memory now. I got, I got to have something to edge Pastor Roe out. You know, I got to have something. This guy is such an amazing communicator. Actually, can we give it up for our pastors, like the shepherds of this home? Um, I've been sharing what I've been feeling God to do, and they've just been right alongside me. Um, can we give it up for our musicians? You guys are, you guys have been playing. These guys have been playing since before service. Like, get Jonathan and Devin a hand massage, please. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you guys are good. Thank you so much. I want you guys to rest. You guys got more worship to get ready for. Um, but we're going to go right into our series text. I'm not going to be here for long. Like I said, I really feel like God wants us, to, wants us to respond in worship. So if we have it, can we put it up on the screen? We are. This is the text that we've been uh, reading from to guide our message series. It is found in the book of Mark, it says. And so they arrived at Capernaum. When they were settled in the house where they were to stay, Jesus asked them, what were you discussing out on the road? But they were ashamed to answer, for they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down and called them around him and said, anyone wanting to be the greatest must be the least, the servant of all. Can we just close our eyes and pray before him? Father, I just ask that you will transform us today. Whether we're new, whether we've been serving you for a while, that we will encounter your glory. Your glory, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. I think it'll serve me best if I preach this message in Spanish the way you guys responded. Yo no ser de ti. Pero. No, it's not the same with the gringo. <laughs> Have you ever been caught red-handed? Like, you've been caught, caught? That's, that's what I think about when I think about Jesus saying... What were you guys discussing? 
Where the parents at that you guys ask your kids rhetorical questions because you want them, you caught them already, but you want them to tell you the answer. I remember one time I stole like $20 from my mother and I swore. Like I was like, no, I didn't, Ma. I'm your son. How could you accuse me? But I did. I stole those $20. I remember one time uh, Pastor Roe caught Bishop stealing. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, who was just up here saying such sweet things? Caught Bishop stealing. And he went right into what he was taught. He actually uses his anecdote. He went right back into what his mother taught us, our mother taught us. He went, you're going to jail. That's it. <laughs> Got the cashier in on it. He's like, I need you to say you're going to call the cops. Cashier was like, sure. So I'm going to call the cops. And Bishop was crying. Like, you ever been caught? It's what happens to the disciples in, these, in this moment. Like, I feel so bad for them because I'm like, ooh, I've been there. I've been caught, caught. Um, and I have nothing to say. I have this face, you know, my wife, Amanda, has seen me caught in the wrong. Like I'm caught, like I'm trying to prove her wrong. And I have this face that I make once like she's, she's laughing. <laughs> we're like, we're arguing over something. And I'm like, no, that's not it. And she's like, yeah, it is. Because and usually a sign I don't remember. Like it's a memory thing. Like, no, I told you, Ruben, I told you this was gonna, this is where we have to go. And I'm like, no, you did it. And then slowly as we talk, I'm like, but I can't let her know. So there's this face that I make when I'm calling. This is how I imagine the disciples. But Jesus does something interesting. He answers them. He says, if you want to be great, be the least. Serve all. And that sounds weird. You know, a lot of what Jesus was doing is often attributed as being um, counterculture or being the rebel king. That's what some scholars call him, the rebel king, introducing the upside down kingdom. But I disagree. And, and here's why. I have a reputation of being what's known as like a writer. I don't mean W-R. I mean R-I-G-H-T-E-R. Why are you guys laughing? You guys know me? I tend to have the reputation that I just need to be right all the time. Like I just got it. And that's not true. I'm going to let the record straight. That is not the truth. I am not trying to be right all the time. I am trying to prove people wrong all the time. It's very different. I'm very different. Like my catchphrase is, well, actually, you shouldn't shower every day because showering every day is bad for your skin. Science has proved that you should shower every other day. It's just, you guys are like judging me. I didn't say I don't shower every day, but don't talk to my wife about that. Um, well, actually, you know, it's just, and I can't help it, you know, because I watch shows like Adam Ruins Everything. He's ruined the engagement ring, the whole thing, the whole setup. I'm not going to tell you guys about it. I don't want to ruin any future marriages. But if you watch it, he does talk about how the whole thing is an advertisement scam. That's right, men. Diamond rings actually were set up by Big Diamond. I'm a ruiner. I want, it's not that I want to be right. I just want to, I, and you know, in my mind, you know, I'm an AB, I grew up, not grew up, but most, for most of my life, I was an ABA therapist. I was trained on behavior. You know, so sometimes, like, I just, I, I just want to help people. I want to change. Like, actually, that's not how you should parent your kids. I know from a clinical, I just know, clinically, scientifically speaking, if you talk to your kid like that, that's just therapy waiting to happen. But you can't tell people how to raise their kids, apparently. Apparently. It's just not my fault. I just have all this useless information. Like, did you know Detroit is actually pronounced Detroit? 
It's a French word. But imagine me going around going, Detroit. Where's Eminem from? Detroit. Imagine me pronouncing Florida correctly. Florida. You know, it's weird, but it's a Spanish word. Los Angeles is a Spanish word. You're not supposed to say Los Angeles. You're supposed to say Los Angeles. Latinos are in this room. Why do we let them take our words? The worst is my last name is not Ruben Remedios. It's Remedios. But people can't roll their R's. Somehow not being able to roll your R changes how you pronounce the E. I don't know what the E has to do with the R. So I, what could be Remedios, because that's how I say it in English, in gringo, turns into Remedios. The worst was in school. Someone called me, my teacher called me Ramirez, which like, how you mess up a word so much that you're throwing letters in there? You know, the other day, Pastor Roe asked me how to pronounce February because we were promoting our Vision Sunday, which is going to be in February. Just so you guys know, it's not February. So that's, that's what I'm talking about. I see people shaking their heads like, that's right. Amen. <laughs> Nerds unite. It's actually February, but people pronounce it February because it's right after January. I was born in February, and my name is Ruben, so I'm trying to keep the Ru alive in February. And Pastor Ro goes, yo, how do you pronounce it? But see, I'm, I'm in reform, because I didn't just go, well, actually, Pastor Ro, just so you know. And I just said, hey, if you want to sound normal, you say February. Because he said, what's the correct way? So I was like, but if you want to be correct, if you're a writer, you got to say February. I'm in reform, you know, because I've learned that most of the time, even if something's correct, we don't care if it's correct. We care how we do it, what we're used to, what we've been accustomed to. I tried to teach Mei Ling how to say coffee the other day. Because if you know Mei Ling, she says coffee, the thickest Brooklyn accent in Staten Island. So here's my ABA, you know, behavior science. I'm like, hey, Mei, how do you pronounce the word T-O-F-F-E-E? -E? She goes, how do you guys pronounce it? Come on. Toffee. So I go, okay, how do you pronounce C-O-F-F-E-E? -E? She goes, coffee. There's no hope. Most people, it's just not that she doesn't know how to pronounce it. It's just this is how we do things. And oftentimes when you are doing the correct thing, it doesn't even matter. Like the word bully didn't, it used to mean sweetheart. But imagine you hear me calling my wife a bully. It's not going to happen. You think my wife is going to be like, oh, no. Because what matters is what it means now. And so often Jesus looks like he's doing something weird or new or revolutionary with his teachings. But really, he's just trying to do things the correct way, the way they were actually intended. Like, and I'm telling you, like the amount of examples I have here is like, finally, my useless information is not useless. You know, the, you know, the umbrella was not invented for rain. Who read that? You read that somewhere because you're laughing. No, nah, it was actually invented provide shade from the sun. That's why it's called umbrella. Umbrella means shadow, more useless information. But the original intention is to use it for the sun. But that's not, that doesn't mean nothing to me. An umbrella is for rain. And so often Jesus is walking around with an umbrella in the sunshine and people are looking at him like, what the heck? You upside down king. You're not supposed to use an umbrella for the sun. You're supposed to use it for the rain. That's how we've been doing it our whole lives. This is how we've been defining greatness by effort and achievement. This is what we do. This is the definition of greatness. Jesus goes, no, you should seek greatness. 
But if you want to be great, your definition and your perspective on what is great needs to change. And last week we learned about the, the ways that Jesus would define greatness. And they are, I'm not going to tell you, you should go watch it if you weren't here. If you don't know, go watch it. Uh, last week, Pastor Will preached an amazing message on if Jesus defined greatness. And it seems so radical, but it, it was what was always intended. And can I tell you, church, as a matter of fact, I just, this is a good time to give you my title. The title of today's talk is Created to Rule. I want to put forth to you guys today that greatness is not something we're meant to seek after, but it's a place that we live from because we were created for greatness. And when I think about greatness in the kingdom, it looks like rulership and dominion over this world. And I'm going to show you how. Um, in Genesis 1, right from the beginning, it says God created humankind in his own image, in his own image. So right there, right, I feel like we, we say this all the time to the point that it's become um, mundane, but the fact of the matter is we are created in the likeness and in the reflection of God, the Elohim of Elohims, the, the, the King of Kings. We are created in the likeness and image of him. Can I tell you, greatness is in your DNA. And then he goes on and says that he blessed humanity. He blessed male and female. So we're blessed right from creation. They're blessed. And he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that moves on the ground. I love when people quote God's will and like, if God is so good. And why in Deuteronomy? I'm like, no, don't go to Deuteronomy. That's after we messed everything up. That's like me judging a parent after the kid writes crayons all over the wall. Listen, those actions are in response to what just happened. What was his original intention? To understand God's true and ultimate will, you have to look at the seven-day creation period and what he created, and it's crazy how deep it gets because every other creation account of that time was, was that the world and everything was created from war and violence and this God killed this God and that made that. And what you see in creation is peace and power. And then rather than humanity being created to, to be slaves to their, to their creator, because in, in some creation accounts, it says that the gods, they just, they wanted the humans to make food for them. And so that's what humans are. Here it says, humans are blessed. Elohim, the infinite God of gods, the most supreme being, creates humanity and says, rule. Subdue the world. Tame every animal. Be fruitful. Multiply. Let alone that we're created in his very likeness created to rule and that's the beginning but even when we jump to the end the book of revelation as weird as revelation is it's weird y'all i just reread it the other day i'm like this thing just it confounds scholars all these things but there are some clear things in the book of revelation we know that some of revelation is to churches that were around then. A lot of revelation is about what's going to happen and the things to come. But in the midst of all that, in Revelation chapter 5, we see this reflection 
on Jesus. Jesus is uh, symbolized as a lamb in the Apostle John's vision. And this is what it says. They were singing. It's talking about the angels in this place and in the heavens. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were killed. And at the cost of your own blood, you have purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have appointed them as a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So often the gospel is, is only told as the story of, of how Jesus died and rescued us from hell. If you place your faith in Jesus, you get to go to the good place when you die. But that's not the full story of the gospel. The full story of the gospel is not that Jesus rescued us. Jesus' work was not just a rescuing work. It was a restorative work. See, what happened in the fall is that we lost. It's, it's not that we lost our right to rule, but we lost our right to rule well and destruction and all these things came into the world. And what Jesus does right here, Revelation is, is reflecting on the account and it says that when Jesus died, he forgave all the sins. That's not in here. And it's not saying he doesn't say it, but what I'm saying is it's not the focal point. The greatest thing about Jesus' death and resurrection is that he purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, people of all nations, and then appointed them as a kingdom of priests to serve God and to reign on this earth, to restore what we were created to do, which is rule. We were created for greatness. Are you guys with me there? See, the gospel is not just about how Jesus saved us. It's about how he restored our capacity to rule, our capacity for greatness. True, true greatness. Not effort, not accomplishments, true dominion. Because it takes power. It takes real power. Like, listen, anybody can be greedy but it takes true power to be generous. Like, it's easy to be bitter. Bitter is a reflex for me. I'm just immediately unforgiven in offense. I'm just like, how dare you? I need to get through this. And I'm already in bitterness. I don't need to watch a YouTube video and five courses on how to be bitter. Now, I could write the book on how to be bitter, how to be petty. We're my petty people. <laughs> Come on. You know, I could teach a course on petty. You know what takes power? Forgiveness. True power is knowing how much you were hurt, knowing how much you're owed as a result of the hurt, knowing that you could take vengeance and, and knowing that you don't have to and letting it go. That takes true power. That's the kind of greatness God has called us to do and has given us the capacity for. But if you're like me, which I hope you are. Even after Jesus restoring our capacity to rule, it just so often in life feels like I'm not ruling. Like so often in life, the frustrations and the stress and like let's be real people put you in places where you just feel powerless 
and just drain you, just drain you. Certain circumstances and people just drain you of power. And you can just feel so powerless. Certain life experiences. And, and honestly, before you're even an adult, right, some of us as children go through things that no child should ever go through. And it's like, okay, I understand. I have the head knowledge that I was created to rule. But I just so often, I don't feel it. And honestly, the metric of the world, like for me, created to rule looks like my bank account is up, my credit score is up, I have five houses. That's, oh yes, now I can, like that's where my mind starts going and it's like so hard to refocus on the right definition. And it's so hard to actually feel power. So what I wanna give you and leave you with are three ways to recharge your power. That when you feel powerless, these are the things you need to remember so that you can recharge the power because the power is already there. Can I tell you, like, even, even outside of Jesus, even after the fall, like, humans are still ruling. I never heard a fox talking to another fox about, like, this is what we're going to do in the future and this is our kingdom now. And I never heard, like, pigeons gathering and, like, plotting on, like, how they're going to solve climate change. Like, it's us. Whether we rule according to our metric or God's metric, it's humanity that it's still moving and shaping this world. So I want to give you the ways to refuel the power that is already there within you, waiting to be released. And so the first way is to remember your true identity. And this is essential this is essential because in life, there's this thing called trauma. Honestly, there's this thing called life. Like, life will form you and shape you, and life is constantly trying to get you to put on a label that's not your true identity. Get you to trust in um, groups and political affiliations and, and companies even and sports teams, like, even that. And I'm not, like, condemning if you're, like, a baseball fan of this team. Like, no. But, like we can sometimes so like identify, like I know me, like superheroes. And I'm not even talking about like when I was a kid. And like, like if I watch a TV show too long and I identify with that character, like that's who I start acting like. Like it's just weird, but I do. Like I remember watching House of Cards and anybody watch House of Cards? Okay, you know how Frank Underwood would do this? I started doing that. I don't know why, I just, Start speaking with a southern accent, start talking to a camera that's not even there. Let me tell you, I just start like taking on these descriptions that aren't even mine. And like sometimes it's good. Like if you're watching The Chosen and you're emulating Jesus, that's great. Frank Underwood, not so great. But sometimes it's like true despair, like actual trauma can come in. And what's crazy about trauma is trauma always attacks your identity. It changes you. A kid who was happy-go-lucky is now reserved. Someone who was trusting is now not so trusting. Trauma is so impactful that dissociative identity disorder, which is a clinical disorder, on this extreme, multiple personalities disorder, it's, it's also known as, that's the one most people are used to, but the correct term is dissociative identity disorder. There I go. <laughs> well, actually, dissociative identity disorder 
is always, always caused by trauma. Not that trauma always causes dissociative identity disorder, but people with multiple dis uh, personalities, multiple identities, always happens because of trauma. That's how insidious trauma is to our identity. And we start shaping ourselves by the things that trauma taught us. It's like we want to rule, but we rule from a place of, I can't, I can't be the least. I'm already the victim in these situations. I can't be the least. Like, if you only knew the trauma I endured, you would understand. I'm going to confess again. Something else that I, I've, I've been known to be as. I asked Zab one time. I was like, Zab, what's some feedback you would give me as a friend? If you ever want real feedback, go to Zab. Every Sunday, Zab tells me my breath stinks. Yo, I need to know that. I, I, today, I was like, yo, am I good? Am I good? I remember one time I said, Zab, what's like some feedback? He goes, oh, you're a con didn't even think about it. He was just like, boom, you're a conversational terrorist. I was like, what? You guys are laughing too hard. Why? The fact that you don't even need it defined is a problem for me. He goes, he's like, nah, man, like you will hijack a conversation. He's like, sometimes you ask a question to people so you can answer it. You guys know what I mean? Because what I'm trying to say. Yo, Lee, are you guys set free over there? What's happening? But, but that entered, honestly, and don't feel bad for me, that entered because of trauma. Because I grew up, actually funny enough, Pastor Rose said it last week, that I came into a family dynamic that had already existed. Like, I'm eight years apart from the brother that I'm closest in age to, 12 years apart from Pastor Rowe, and 13 years apart because we had Spanish twins, so I was scared, uh, <laughs> from my oldest brother. And so there was already the three of them. And so to this day, it's funny because I told Bishop, and now Bishop sees it whenever the fan, Bishop's my nephew, for those of you who don't know, and Pastor Rowe's son, he sees it. Whenever we're together, I don't really get hurt. I know. Play the violin. But what, what happens is, when I'm around people who actually want to hear me, that's all that I talk. I just talk and talk and talk and talk. I got 45, I got 30-minute I got message that I'm trying to wrap up now. But trauma will do that. And so we need to remember our true identity. Our true identity. And here it is. This is, this is one of the, the ultimate texts on who you are. What is your true identity? Galatians 4 says, when the appropriate time had come, God sent out his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we may be adopted as sons with full rights. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are also an heir through God. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are also an heir through God. I think some of you guys need to say this with me. If you're a female, you can say daughter. He's talking about men and women. Come on, let's say this again. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are also an heir through God. Say it to yourself. I am no longer a slave, but a son. And if I'm a son, then I'm also an heir through God. Like, this is your identity, church. In Romans, Paul says this again, and he says, you are no longer a slave to that which leads to 
fear. Like you're no longer a slave to these things. You are a child of God. That's who you are. You're not your trauma. You're not what life has shaped you to be. You're not Frank Underwood. You are a child of God. And you need to get this in you. Like, now I'm a child of God. That's my identity. I'm a child of God. That's who I am. I'm not unforgiveness. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. You need to remember it and remember it and remember it. And what's crazy is coming to me now, but I'm, Amanda got me to read this book that Marquez has been, Pastor Marquez has been trying to me, get me to read for months, year, a year maybe, Atomic Habits. And he says the best way to change your habit is not focus on the habit, focus on your identity. So if you want to like eat healthy, don't focus on eating healthy. Say, I'm someone who eats healthy. Okay, let's, let's use that principle spiritually. Like I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Yo soy hijo de Dios. It does. Let's just be a Spanish church because the heavens right now. I have to move quickly, but like, are you guys with me? Like the next time you feel this, like you are a child of God. You're not your pain. You're not your past. You're a child of God. You're not your culture. You're not a New Yorker. You're a child of God. The next thing we need to do is remember God's purpose for our lives. Because if you're like me, which I still hope that you are here, it's easy to get comfortable. Like sometimes it's not pain. Sometimes it's comfort. Honestly, more for me, like comfort is the thing that is the biggest distraction. Like, I'm comfy. I'm about to watch my show. And then someone calls me asking for prayer. Like, you can't just pray to God. <laughs> You're a child of God. I'm just, these are my inner thoughts, all right, guys? Don't judge me, all right? If I can't judge you as the pastor of this church, you can't judge me as the members. It's not, it's not the judgment works one way. No, this is, a, this is a two-way relationship right now, all right? I'm still thinking about the shower thing. And it gets hard. Like, I don't want to set up pipe and drape every Sunday. Like, me and Lucas, you guys don't know, but there are these signs that the other church hangs up. We got to take them down every week. That's easy. Putting them up. Lucas, where you at? Sound about it. It's just like, oh, these signs. They can't just say, it says holy. I'm like, they can't just say that in the church. That's what we did for 30 minutes. Holy. <laughs> Son about it. Like, you just get used to, like, the grind of life. And it's just, like, routine and mundane. And it's, like, clock in, clock out, make food, pick up the kids, get home. And, like, the routine of life just lulls the ambition. And, and can I tell you, like, you're wired for greatness. You're wired for it. You're going to yearn after it whether you chase after it or not. <laughs> Thank you. But just like it gets so easy to get comfortable. What I found in my life, when I don't want to do things, when I just become so caught up in my own stuff, the thing that always pushes me is purpose. See, I, I think it's because, I, actually, I just believe, I want to put this forth to you today. Purpose is the catalyst for greatness. You, you just can't not have greatness without purpose. Like you, you just can't. 
And purpose, the understanding of your purpose is the thing that will always propel you to this thing that we're calling greatness. And again, it's the kind of greatness that knows, like, yeah, I got to put this person before me. It's the kind of greatness that knows, like, yeah, I need, I, I just know what I'm called to do here. Like, I've, I've been asked questions of, like, Rube, and I'm not boasting, but, like, how do you do this? How do you make yourself so available? How do you, it's just, like, honestly, I don't have a choice. Like I'm called. This is what I'm called to do. And doing anything else just doesn't fulfill me, doesn't satisfy me. It leaves me empty because this is what I'm designed to do. I'm an umbrella wanting sunshine. So how do, we, how do we remember this? Well, Ephesians is like the easiest verse to go to when you need to remember your purpose. Because this is the purpose for everybody. By grace, you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. Having been created in Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand. So we may do them. Pastor Roe has said this before, but I think it's one of the most underrated things that he said as a lead pastor. Your purpose existed before you did. Created for good works that God prepared beforehand so we may do them. Your purpose existed before you did. And when you can remember, like, wait, wait, this is what I was created for. This is the whole, very, the whole essence of my existence is to do this thing. And I can't tell you what God has purposed you to do. I know it's good works, but I can't tell you it's this specific kind of good work. But I, I, I've seen a dream team that does some amazing work. Like, my goodness, the way worship was, the way that it was today is because of our dream team just the way you guys serve and we can have an agenda that gets thrown out of off the table because we're just we're like you guys have served in such excellence can we give it up for our dream team so in those moments where life just feels just too much or too too comfortable like it's just like you feel like you've lost the, the luster of life. Like you had to remember your purpose. Can I tell you, like purpose isn't always pretty. It's just not. Like sometimes it's doing the boring things that no one's going to do. Because you're wired to do it. Sometimes it's just doing the thing because it's just part of it. Like, like you're, and I, can I, t- like I just want to commend our pastor in this moment. Like he is so such an exemplar of this. Like, we were going to have to throw out this pipe and drape and spend, like, find money to get new pipe and drape. And he said, I'll spend a day fixing it. And your pastor's not trained in that. I'm going to tell you right now. Will you give this guy some, some, a few key uh, supplies from Home Depot? And, like, our pipe and drape is better than when we first got it. But he's, he's, He's purposed to pastor this church, right? Like, I believe that. Anybody believe that this is our lead pastor? And he didn't come in here and go, this is beneath me. I should be speaking. That's all I should be doing. No, he's like, this is a part of my purpose. 
This is, this is what we use, so we have to maintain it. And so he gave up his day. It didn't look pretty. He didn't post a TikTok about it. Like, there wasn't a thing to look at and share. Like, that wasn't the thing. That wasn't the highlight. But he understood it was part of his purpose. And every day I see this guy, like, he talks to everybody. When, like, we go out to Duncan, we go here. He's talking to everybody. And your pastor is not, like, a social guy. He's, like, he's extroverted, but he's not, like, he hates small talk. But every time I talk to him, he's like, yeah, I'm just always trying to introduce people to the gospel because that's my purpose. Like any, any opportunity. So if it's a small conversation and I just made that day better, but, but I could somehow next time come and have an opportunity to speak to them about God, but then, then it was worth it. He's such an example. I just want to commend him, but also use that as an example here. Like purpose isn't always pretty, but when you understand your purpose, man, it fuels you to do the unpretty things, the little things. This is our last one. This is where we're going to close. And this is what's really in my heart, guys. Like, remember the source of your power. In those powerless moments, in, in these moments where it's like, what am I even here for? Like, I just, Rubens, Pastor Ruben said, created to rule, but like, just don't feel it. Remember the source of your power. If I could take you to the book of Acts. This is the, like, when you want to talk about worship leading to breakthroughs, this is the verse. You ready? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. That's worship. And the rest of the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, a great earthquake occurred so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately, all the doors flew open and the bonds of all the prisoners came loose. Man, this text could preach. Like when you worship, we've done it and I don't condemn anybody for doing it because there's truth here. The chains of those around you become free. The prisoners become set free. See, it preached. Well, actually, this text... Like was, and I used this text for this moment. Like, this was how I was getting ready. I'm about to teach you guys about worship. And, like, this is the verse. Like, oh, this is so good. You see they're worshiping, and then there's a breakthrough. But, you know, it's crazy. Paul and Silas were not worshiping for a breakthrough. They were worshiping to be freed. If you read further, the guard sees that all this happened, that, that all the, the cages are open. And he's ready to kill himself. It's like, Paul, Paul, Paul's like, homie, like, we still here. Like, hold on. And, and also in the story, like, that's also not how God set them free. Because the magistrates, the people who had imprisoned them, were already deciding to release them the next day. So, like, the, it was, the miracle was already on its way. And Paul did not want to be released. And I love Paul because I'm like, see, pettiness is in the Bible. <laughs> because I'm going to give you the epilogue. Like, the guard gets saved. His whole household gets saved. And the guard is like, hey, by the way, they said you're free to go. Paul's like, these dudes threw us in prison for no reason. And they want to release us in secret? No, I want an apology. I promise, it's in there. 
He goes, no, 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 let them come release us themselves. So this was not the breakthrough that Paul was, was seeking. Paul wasn't worshiping for a breakthrough. So why was Paul worshiping? In prison. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Well, all through the Bible, they talk about singing praises and hymns to God. And it's true that breakthroughs happen as a result of, of worship. There's no denying that. But if I could just change why we worship. That, that happens to be a byproduct of worship. But the reason we worship is because God deserves our worship. It's because he is glorious. It's because he is amazing. It's because he is supernatural. It's because he is the Elohim of Elohims. It's because Jesus did die for us and resurrect us to restore us. It's because he's so good. Even if I'm in prison, it's not about whether I get out or not. It's about how good he is. It's about how good he is. And church, like you need to remember in your moments of powerlessness, it's not about the power. It's about where your power comes from. Like you need to remember you're backed by God. Like if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are backed by the king of kings. You are a child of God. And that blows my mind. Like my brother Fo is a corrections officer. I remember the first time I used it. He has like a, it's like a version of a PBA card. I remember the first time I used it. I called up, bro. I was like, dude, I feel unstoppable. <laughs> I'm trying to get, they have a shield. I'm like, Grizel's nodding her head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I felt unstoppable. I'm like, yo, this is. You know, and then, like, for the first time in my life, I respected my brother Fo. Like, I was like, right? I'm just being out. You guys judging me again? Like, I remember when he became a corrections officer. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then for the first time, I was like, oh, snap. My brother's a corrections officer. You know? Anytime I'm out in public, like, and I feel someone is threatening, I'm, I already have my speech if, like, somebody tries to pop off. I have it. I'm going to tell you. I'm not an intimidating guy, as you can see. It's an apology. Like, if someone tries to, Lee, can you step to me? Because you're so good at it. No. So, so, listen, man. Listen, man. I'm just going to let you know I'm sorry. Because, like, if you beat me up, you're probably going to win. All right? But my brothers, they're all way bigger than me. Two of them are trained in jujitsu. One of them is trained in street fighting. Like, you're going to win. But I promise you, my brothers are going to come for you. And so I'm just sorry. And now even my nephew. So I just want to give you a second to think about, not this moment, but just a couple days after. That's my trash talk. Because I know the power of my brothers. What's powerful is not that, like, a supernatural being is our father. That's like, that was a common thought. Like the Pharaoh was the son of God. The emperor is the son of God. Like, no, no, no. It's that the highest, most supreme being, the creator of this universe, the king of this universe has adopted us into sonship. 
Are you catching that? Like this infinitesimal God, all-knowing, all-powerful. Like the, the way Revelation ends is that God and Jesus take up residence with humanity in the new earth, new creation. Like that's the destiny. This God wants to dwell with us. He wants to be amongst us. And what's crazier is that it says that Jesus has already taken up residence in our hearts. That when you place your faith in Jesus, he dwells in you and the spirit is inside of you. And that power dwells in you. That blows my mind that the infinite God has dwelled in and wants communion with finite beings. And that's what worship is. It's reminding yourself, like, it's not about my power. It's about the power that's in me. It's about the one who's anointed me. It's about the one who created me. It's about the one who's destined me for power. And that's what breaks chains. That's what causes earthquakes. Because when we begin to lift up his name, when we begin to say, holy, 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 he takes up residence amongst our praise, amidst our worship, amidst our song. When we begin to worship, he comes down. And it's all over scripture. We bring heaven down to earth. We bring heaven down to earth. It's not about how powerless your situation may be, how comfortable you feel, or just, I'm just tired. I'm exhausted. Like maybe your relationships, your your financial situation. It was never about that for the disciples. They gave up everything. Because just to be in his presence surpassed all of that. Paul calls it crap. And I'm going to say crap. Because Emily knows in the original language, that's what he said. He said dung in Greek. He's like, it's all nothing compared to knowing Jesus. And like, you need to know that. Like, and if our dream team team can become come come forward like because i want us to get ready to worship church like i want us to worship him like we've ever worshiped before and if you're in this place and you're just ready to worship can you begin to come forward like he wants to inhabit your praise i've been fascinated with this thing called dmt and it's this chemical that's releasing the brain, yada, yada, yada. But people are getting into it. It's, it's a drug, so don't do it. Um, they're calling it the spiritual drug because everyone who does this has this spiritual encounter. There's a guy who was an atheist. He was like, oh, I'm in the presence. As soon as he took it, he's like, I'm in the presence of a higher power. Now, rarely, like almost never is it God. What's crazy to me as I read it and read it and read it is like people are more and more spiritual than ever because they're seeking this. They want this. But they're pursuing that. And what's crazy is like the Bible is like, you just have to lift up your voice if you want an encounter with the most high God. We're not talking about a higher power. We're talking about the highest power. We're talking about the creator of the universe. You just got to lift up his voice. You can do it now while I'm preaching. Like begin to say holy, holy. Like we just got to praise him. Like you were here earlier. You don't know what that was. I don't know what that was, but I know it was God.
stop. I know it was the king of the universe. So I, I can implore you, like if you're still seated, I don't know why. Not that I don't know why you're seated. I know why you're seated. I've been there. But if you can come here, I don't know why. For whatever reason, it's like here is the place to be. I think I know why. Like I've, like I can be alone with my thoughts if I'm out there. I can be a spectator if I'm back there and I can say, this is a nice worship set. That's amazing. And I am a spectator, but I'm not a participator. But God is calling us to participate in his worship. So I'm asking you, if you know me, like if you're new and it's uncomfortable, I get it. But if there's any ounce of boldness in you, if there's any ounce of hunger, like can you get here with our team? Can we ask him to inhabit our praise? Can we worship him? Can we worship him and lift up his name? And I promise you this, don't do it for this, but I promise you this, that heaven will come down. Heaven will come down and the byproduct is breakthrough. The byproduct of healing. The byproduct is transformation. Can we begin to worship Him? And right there where you are online, you can worship Him. And I'm going to pray us and I'm going to close us so that we can just focus on worshiping Him. Lord, I thank you. And I just pray that you will come down right now. That you will honor our obedience because you are holy, holy, holy. And I pray for anyone here who is wanting to encounter you, who has not already given their life to you. We, we pray that they are new right now. That if they, all they have to do is accept you in their hearts. All they have to do is accept you in their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.